All right. Well, last week uh, I had a first in that I uh, was preaching next to a cat. Uh, today I also had a first. I took a swig of water and saw a piece of corn from the carrion dinner that Allie and Rhea were making this morning. So corn-infused water is the new cucumber-infused water. Um, anyways, uh, to all God's beloved in Rome. Uh, yes, we're continuing on in Romans. Um, and if you started out this series like me, uh, and we're dreading this with all of your being. Hopefully you've also become like me and are like, hey, Romans, not that bad, right? We can, we can get our hands on this. It doesn't have to be this thing that like beats us down, but like is this accessible sort of thing that points us towards faithfulness to Jesus. Um, or if you were unlike me and you had no baggage towards Romans, Hopefully you still don't have any baggage towards Romans, right? And you can see that this is a letter, again, that, that's meant to point us towards faithfulness to Jesus, particularly as we grapple with this idea of, like, what does it mean to be the people of God together? Uh, so this morning we're uh, continuing on uh, in that, and uh, as we get ready to do so, let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Loving God, uh, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for this... Um, chance to be together uh, with our um, siblings here uh, at First Mennonite. And God, as we uh, turn now to wrestle with the scriptures together, we, uh, we yield ourselves to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the way of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This uh, time of year is always uh, a bit of an interesting one for me. Um, because uh, at the end of April, uh, we celebrate my mom's birthday. And then uh, the middle of May, we celebrate Mother's Day. And then at the end of May, we uh, honor my mom's uh, anniversary of her death. But then we jump into June, and at the middle of June, we have uh, my dad's birthday. And then the middle of June, we also have Father's Day. And then the end of July, we uh, acknowledge the anniversary of my dad's death. And so there's this stretch of time uh, in the year, which ironically is in the midst of spring with all of this life, that is just this like, constant reminder of my parents and the loss that we felt with them and the void of their lives and ultimately like this reminder of their death. Um, and uh, there, there have been these seasons in, in life particularly earlier on, uh, that like, it was just like these four month stretch was just like this dark cloud like hovered over me. Uh, now, I mean, it's been 13 and 15 years respectively since my mom and dad have died. And so like, you know, there's a lot of gr healing that, that occurs over the, uh, that, that period of time. But like, there's still these moments where it's just like, again, another reminder of this death that has occurred in my life. Uh, death as a whole is not something that's pleasant. It's not something that we like long for. It's not something that like we normally warmly embrace. And yet there are these times in our life where um, death can almost be something like a, a necessity though. I mean, my hunch is that most of us, if not all of us, have had seasons in our lives where there have been like habits or practices that uh, needed to experience something like a, a death of sorts, right? Perhaps that be like some sort of a, an addiction or some sort of toxic relationship to someone or something. And you get to a point where you recognize that like this is just an all-consuming sort of thing that's taking advantage of your life and running amok of things and that there needs to be some sort of death to this thing 
so that you can begin to experience life on the other side of it. And even with these things that like, we might call unhealthy or negative sorts of things, like, we recognize that even approaching these things with this understanding of death is it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's not something that like, we, we uh, openly embrace. It's, it's something that can be painful and challenging. Because even though they may be uh, unco- or, um, unhealthy or negative sorts of things, like, they're familiar. <laughs> and there's something comforting about the familiar. And, and to die to that and enter into something new can feel challenging and disorienting because it's unfamiliar. And yet that death is like a necessary sort of thing so that we can experience the life on the other side of it. Now this seems to be uh, how Paul understands our relationship with this thing that he calls sin. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 5 and um, the first half of Romans chapter 5, but as Paul gets into the the back half of Romans chapter 5, he begins to like wrestle with this relationship between uh, sin and this other uh, new character into the story called grace. And he wrestles with the, the relationship between these two things. And he does so in this public way of writing this letter. And we get to see like the, the wheel spinning in Paul's mind as he, he fleshes this sort of thing out. And he, he says some pretty like audacious things about the relationship between sin and grace. Like he says things like, um, where, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. Like sin is this bad thing, but grace is so good that even in the face of this bad thing, like it, it overwhelms it and overcomes it. And so then as we get to the beginning of Romans chapter 6, Paul, who is a good first century Jew, which means that he's like well-versed in the art of the argument, sets up this question from his imaginary sparring partner, recognizing that there's going to be pushback on this audacious thing that he's just said about sin and grace. And so he begins Romans chapter 6 with the question that everybody listening would have been asking. So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? If sin is this bad thing, but grace is so good that it even swallows it up, well then, hey, should we just keep on sinning? That sounds like a good life, yeah? Paul makes it very clear, make no mistake, his answer to this question is, absolutely not. You can imagine him like in person like bopping somebody on the forehead. No, of course not. You don't do that, right? And the reasoning for this, his understanding of why we don't keep doing that, all of us have died to sin. How can we still live in it? <laughs> if we've died to something, there's no way that we can continue to live in it. Like this is how he roots all of this, this relationship between sin and grace. We've died to sin, so how can we keep on living in it? Now before we unpack this anymore, perhaps it's helpful to take a step back and uh, reflect upon Paul, how Paul thinks about this idea of sin. Because for Paul, sin is so much more than just the individual actions that we might commit throughout our day. It's more than like swearing when we stub our toe or listening to rock and roll or whatever those individual actions might be, right? But for Paul, when it comes to sin, perhaps it's even better to think about it not as sin like this with a lowercase s, but sin with like a big, bold, capitalized, italics, underlined s. Because again, for Paul, sin isn't so much these individual one-off actions, but sin is like the thing behind the thing. Yes, there are these things that we commit in our lives, these sins, But for Paul, there's something behind that, that he calls sin, singular, with a capitalized S. 
And sin is this power, this force that exists, that is this very real presence in our world. It's the thing behind the thing. It's the thing that causes us to break ourselves, to break others, to break uh, the world around us, to set up these systems that are bent on breaking other people as a result of them. Sin is this thing behind this, the thing. It's this power, this force that has run amok for far too long. Uh, a few years ago, there was a really uh, fascinating documentary that came out on Netflix called Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. Has anybody seen this? Okay. Uh, so it's uh, about Jim Carrey, uh, and um, it, it's a, a documentary about when he um, filmed Man on the Moon, which is sort of a biopic about uh, the comedian Andy Kaufman. And when they filmed Man on the Moon, like, he granted unprecedented access to a documentary crew. And so like, they're filming all the time. And uh, just a few years ago, they put all of this together. And it's really fascinating because, I mean, Andy Kaufman in and of himself was this very eclectic sort of like, in his own sort of world, sort of comedian. Much like Jim Carrey, right? And so as Jim Carrey approached this project, he recalls this moment on the beach where like Andy Kaufman like descended upon him and he became Andy Kaufman. <laughs> and so as a result, like he engages in this uh, form of acting called method acting which is like, you don't just do what the actor would do or what the character would do, but like you seek to become the, the character. So like he wanted to understand how Andy Kaufman would think, how Andy Kaufman would feel, how Andy Kaufman would react to people. And so like he was entirely Andy Kaufman all throughout the filming of this. So like they would shoot a scene, they would yell cut, and people would come up and they'd be like, hey Jim, we need to talk about this. And he's like, who's Jim? I'll pass it on to Jim, I'm Andy. And he's talking like in Andy's voice the whole time. And like it's... Really fascinating to see people interacting with him. Uh, and even to the point that he uh, becomes Andy Kaufman's alter ego, Tony, uh, Tony Clifton, who is this obscene, obnoxious character who like downright abused people. And so he would walk around set just, and like everybody's just so frustrated with this reality, this force of Jim Carrey. And there's a moment where he reflects upon, like he would get to his trailer uh, in the evening and he would refer to like, the, the hide to his Jekyll coming out. And he's like, it was a little too much today. <laughs> I think I pushed it just a little bit too far. For Jim Carrey, as he approached this method acting and becoming Andy Kaufman, like, it wasn't just something he did. It was something that he became. It was this all-consuming force that like, set up shop, that controlled every aspect of him. And I think as Paul thinks about sin, there's a very strong similarity here. Sin isn't just something that we do, but it's something that we become. It's this all-consuming force that sees us as the grounds of occupation, as this ground of colonization that, that wants to shape us into its own image. There's a, a moment in this uh, documentary where Jim Carrey like, stops talking just about uh, um, the man in the moon and starts reflecting upon his whole career as a whole. And it's this really beautiful moment of vulnerability because he's reflecting upon like the late 90s when Jim Carrey's like the hottest, or hottest actor, right? And yet he says like he's absolutely miserable. And he says when you create yourself to make it, you're going to have to either let that creation go and take a chance on being loved or hated for who you really are. You're going to have to kill who you really are and fall into your grave grasping onto a character that you never were. And I think Paul would read this and go, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's true. 
See, all of us have this like true self, this part of ourselves that is this divine sort of spark, this part of ourself that has this un, um, um, or the, all of this like immeasurable worth and value and love, this part of ourselves that's created in the image of God. And yet, like to exist in that place is to run the risk of being vulnerable, of being loved or hated for who we really are. And so there's this voice in the back of our head that we call sin that tells us that we need to cover this up, that we need to take on like a false self or an ego to protect this thing. And so we begin to build on to all of these characters. And we come to a moment in life where we have to like kill off that sin and embrace who we truly are or go to our grave grasping onto a character that we never were. And so Paul says, this thing, sin, we died to this. Now he roots all of this in the Jesus story. And he says, so, or, or don't you know that you were baptized into Christ Jesus? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now for those listening uh, to this letter being read, uh, like, all of them would have been baptized. Like, baptism wouldn't have necessarily been the sort of, like, optional thing for them that we often think of it as. I mean, there's a number of people who, like, spend their whole life in church and never get baptized. And here's why. Because when it comes to baptism for us, we, we talk about it as, like, well, does baptism require to be saved? Or is it merely a symbol? And so when we get caught up in this, like, conversation, like, it becomes this optional sort of part of our life. And I think if Paul heard these conversations, he'd be really annoyed and be like, you're missing the point! <laughs> Because for Paul, it's not about a symbol. It's not about like a, a mechanism to, to be saved or not saved. But for Paul, it's about getting caught up in the life of Jesus. Like this is the way that we get our hands on the life of Jesus. This is how we get caught up in the life of Jesus. This is how we inhabit the life of Jesus. This is how we uh, embody the life of Jesus. To be baptized is to get swept up into the Jesus story itself. Uh, I, I recently uh, finished a memoir by uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, you may know him as the Democratic uh, presidential uh, can uh, candidate. I know him as Mayor Pete because when I lived in South Bend, he was the mayor the whole time. And uh, so as somebody moving back to South Bend, like, it felt like required reading uh, when somebody makes national headlines, right? So it's a really fascinating memoir. And he gets to the moment of when he becomes mayor in South Bend. And he's, if you've ever like listened to him, like he's... He's a heady intellectual, like, and he talks about all of, like, the civic sort of celebrations that he has to be part in, the ribbon cuttings, the speeches, the toasts, and all of that, and he's like, I really wasn't built for that. And he said he was talking to another mayor friend of his, uh, and they were talking about, wouldn't it be nice if there were, like, a royal family in the U.S. that could handle all of these sorts of things so that we could, like, do the real administrative sort of work behind the scenes? But then he fast-forwarded a few years to uh, South Bend's 150th anniversary. And when he uh, took over as mayor, South Bend had just been voted on the list of like top 10 dying cities in America. But as they fast-forwarded to like the 150th anniversary, like it was a city that was growing and expanding and had all sorts of energy and progress that was happening. And he said as he was giving the toast at the, the big celebration, he said it clicked for him that these these celebrations aren't insignificant, that these celebrations actually matter. Because these celebrations seem to like tap into the hope and the energy that exists within the city itself. And I think that this is what baptism is, is for Paul. Like it's a way of tapping into this reality that is the Jesus story for us. And when we're baptized, like we're swept up into this, that this is how we embody this. This is how we live into this story. 
And so at this point, like, we just take a step back and we let Paul be the brilliant pastor theologian he is and hang on for dear life. Because from here, Paul says, Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we also will be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we, meaning like either individually uh, or like humanity as a collective whole, uh, used to be crucified, used to be, was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because the person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So we come back to that opening question at the beginning of this chapter of like, should we continue sinning so that grace may abound? He says, no, not at all. Like we've died to it. We've died to this old story, and now we enter into a new reality. We enter into a new story, dare I say, the Jesus story. It's no longer our story, and it's no longer just Jesus' story, but this is the story that we've been grafted into. This is the story that we now inhabit. And the thing about this Jesus story is that it has the power to reverse this grand sort of cosmic story that we find ourselves in, so that it's no longer life that leads to death, but it's death that leads to life. See, sin was like this toxic sort of partner that we had in our life. And we didn't have the, the ability or the resources to like get out of this situation. And yet Jesus, who uh, was a good friend in this situation, who did have the ability and the resources, stepped in and grabbed us by the hand and pulled us out of that situation. And as a result, like we died to that situation. We died to that toxic sort of relationship so that we could like live into the reality of a new sort of relationship, one that is filled with life and life to the fullest. Now, uh, we come to a really painfully obvious sort of observation here. And if you won't admit it, I will for us all. And that is, uh, when I get home, I'm probably going to find myself frustrated at some point and yell at my wife or my kids. Tomorrow, I may cut somebody off to get a really good parking spot so I don't have to walk as far and they have to walk further, right? Meaning, I still sin, okay? <laughs> so we have this like beautiful like cosmic sort of thing happening. And yet, like, there's still this reality of sin in our life. So like, what gives with that? <laughs> Maybe we can think about it this way. Uh, after college, I continued on to grad school, and I received a graduate degree with a very pretentious name, okay? The pretentious name was a Master's of Christian Ministry, which assumes that I'm like a Master of Christian Ministry, right? It's not quite as pretentious as like a Master's of Divinity, sorry for those that may have an MDiv in the room, right? But like, if you think about the name, it's funny. It's like, oh, I, I assume that I'm a Master of this vocation of ministry, I'll save you the uncomfortable conversation and admit it myself. I am not a master of this vocation of Christian ministry, okay? And yet, like, I think there was something that came through this process of, like, getting this master's of Christian ministry. Where, like, no, I didn't master Christian ministry, but, like, I acquired the tools and resources to grow, to evolve, to mature in this vocation of ministry. 
so that like who I am today and how I go about this, I hope is different and better and like more life-giving than it was seven years ago when I started. So as we think about like sin, like maybe we don't quite have mastery over sin, but as we step into this Jesus story, there's a graduation ceremony of sorts, right? Where like we acquire the, the, the skills and the resources to continue to evolve and grow and mature. Uh, into more and more like the life of Jesus. And these, these tools and these resources that we have are God's own spirit that like br- draw us deeper and deeper into the Jesus story. So that when sin hits us up from time to time, like we have a friend, dare I say we have an advocate that reminds us of the story that we find ourselves caught up in. Uh, now all of this brings us to the wisdom then of uh, Paul at the end of this section who says, so then, don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin, to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Uh, as a parent of two young kids, I've learned that uh, if there's a, a, a time and place when my kids are doing something that I don't want them to do, uh, saying stop doing that is probably about the least effective thing possible, right? Uh, I either need to remove the thing from the situation or remove them from the situation, right? (laughs) Otherwise, like, I just keep offering them up to the situation as a whole. And as I've confessed before, all I am is just a six-foot-five toddler. Yes, Uh, like, deep down, there is just this screaming toddler wanting to control my life. And I recognize that in my own life that there are times when I need to remove the thing from the situation or remove myself from the situation or I just keep offering myself up to the situation. And so Paul says, like, don't keep offering yourself up to sin. But it's not just enough to, like, be reactive because now we have this void in our life. Paul tells us to be proactive, to offer ourselves up to God so that we can be made into weapons or the Mennonite version, instruments to do good, right? So what does it look like for us to offer ourselves up to God to be used as instruments for good? As I think about this question, I think about the the various things that draw me in deeper into the Jesus story. So for for me, these are practices or words or images that that like captivate me and draw me into this. Um, So one of these things that I I use is uh, called Lectio 365. Uh, Anybody heard of this? Uh, it's an app on your phone, and it's uh, just a, a guided Lectio Divina practice, a way of engaging with scripture. I try to start most of my days with this, and it's a way of like drawing me into the Jesus story. Um, another uh, one uh, is actually my tattoo here. Uh, so I got this about two years ago as an ordination gift to myself, and uh, it's, it's a way of like embedding the Jesus story into my own skin. Um, there's this uh, part of, of Revelation chapter 5 where... Uh, John, the author of Revelation, is trying to find somebody who can open the scroll, which is like to say, bring about the healing and the redemption of the world. And he hears a lion, and he's told to look. And he looks, but he doesn't see a lion. Instead, he sees a slaughtered lamb. And all of those that are standing around the slaughtered lamb, all of the, the witnesses, the faithful, they cry out, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is this way of bringing about the healing and the redemption of the world, the self-giving, sacrificial, or other-oriented love. And so, like, I have this on my skin as a way of reminding me that this is how to go about the healing and the redemption of the world, to get caught up in the Jesus story. 
What we're doing here, like this break in our week to worship, is another way that brings me into the Jesus story. It reminds me that my life is more than just me, myself, and I, but it's like our collective story getting caught up and grafted into the Jesus story as a whole. And so as you think about your own life, what are ways that you can offer yourself up to God to be used as instruments for good? I think that's a question that only like we as individuals can answer for ourselves. So I encourage you to like sit with that. Maybe that can even come up during our, our discussion time of ways that like you go about doing this. Um, but friends, uh, we've died to sin. It no longer rules over us. And for some of us, that may be the good news that we need to hear this morning. But for others of us, there's more to this story. It's not just that we've died to sin, but we've made it, been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we're invited to keep getting swept up into this Jesus story, to offer ourselves up to God in ways that are meaningful, that continue to sweep us up into this Jesus story. And so my prayer for us this morning is, may it be so.